0: I got to tell you, yesterday was an exciting day for me, and I was, I was really pumped about it. And it wasn't about the fact that we had the number of kids that we did, as much as the fact that we had kids doing. The fact that kids said, you know what, I'm going to give up my Saturday, and parents as well, said, I'm going to give up my Saturday, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to step into the uncomfortable, because I'll be honest with you, it was, it was a little bit uncomfortable at the, at the nursing home. As you walked in, you have people sitting in, in wheelchairs and, and people who can't hear and people who can't see, and there was one lady who couldn't even talk, and you, you're kind of like, uh, and the kids went right up to them as if there was no barrier there you know, I think sometimes we get to this point where we build this barrier in our lives that, that we can't talk to certain people because we're afraid of how they might respond. Those kids just went right in there and they were talking to them and, you know, talking a mile a minute and some of them, the, the folks of the home were kind of like, I don't understand what you're saying, but it's okay because they were just having a great time and they were so grateful that our kids gave of time to go and sit with them and they sang some songs and it was, it was amazing and I was so excited to see it all happen you know, I think Taken uh, taking last week off, I was, I was excited about getting into this Advent conspiracy and then James Walker was able to come along. Um, that was the first time in over a year that I sat and listened in a service instead of actually being the one up on the stage in the service. And, and I was sat and, and I loved it. I don't know about you guys. I know that he took, last week, he took about two months worth of Bible college material and crammed it into a half an hour. So some of you, your heads were spinning. And I apologize for that. And others of you, you were just like soaking it in because I don't ever get that deep. And you're like, please go that deep sometime. I know. I understand that. And, and, you know, it was so exciting to sit there. And I'll tell you, this whole idea of the Advent Conspiracy and what he took to start us all off, the Advent Conspiracy, if you haven't been with us or, or uh, haven't, like I said, had a chance to look at the bulletins, it's really all about turning Christmas upside down. It's about taking Christmas and changing the mess that it's become back into what God originally had created it for. And that is to worship his son, Jesus Christ, who was born. This is his birthday celebration that we, and the whole word of Advent means leading up to and being expecting and yearning for what is to come. And we have an Advent calendar. Anybody have an Advent calendar they've been going through at their house? I'm sure there's a handful of you that have. We've been going through our Advent calendar. And we have two different ones. We have the religious one. That, that walks you through, um, you know, first was a star, and then there were shepherds, and there were sheep, and, the, and now we're into the angels. And then we have the Star Wars one that has nothing to do with Christmas whatsoever, other than uh, Darth Maul has a, a Christmas thing over his head. But, you know, we, we enjoy doing the Advent, and we get into that because we are excited about what Christmas is at our house. And I hope that you are too. And not that Christmas is this major consumeristic holiday that we can buy and give and receive. And because that's really not what it's about. And I think that is what James was trying to encompassed last week. If you weren't here last week, we had an apologist, uh, a person who's a defender of the faith, come and share with us about who Jesus is. And he talked about it from the Islamic perspective, and he talked about it from the Mormon perspective, and he talked about it from Jehovah Witness perspective, and and even some other different things. And then he talked about it from our perspective, and who Jesus really is. And if you can't tell that I'm a little bit excited this morning, I apologize. I'm talking really fast, and I'm really excited, because I want to I want to see lives changed, and I think it starts right here, when we understand who Jesus is and what this holiday is all about, because when we understand who Jesus is, and we understand that God gave His one and only Son for us, it should change our whole perspective on Christmas. I mean, what he talked about last week is he said, Jesus is the Lord of our lives, for some, he was a prophet. For some, he was a good teacher. For some, he was just another man. For some, he was the, uh, the son of God, but not the only son of God. But for us, he is the one and only son of God given to us to be Lord over our lives. And when we change our perspective on how we worship, if it's not just an hour on Sunday morning, but worship is our lifestyle, it'll change our perspective on Christmas. It changes everything we have. And, you know, I got to thinking about it when he said, you know, Jesus is the Lord of our lives. I got to thinking about this last week. When we say it out loud, do we actually mean it? Is he the Lord of our lives? Because if you really think about it, the word Lord is the word Adonai in the Hebrew. And it means master or authority. Would you say that Jesus is your master or your authority? And before you answer, the the way this word comes from and where it comes from is the idea of a landowner who had slaves or hired hands. Would you say that Jesus is the landowner and that you are one of his slaves? Could you say that? I mean, we would like to say that. But can we? Can we really say that Jesus is the Lord, the master, the authority in our lives? I really got to thinking about this week and thought, you know, I would love to say yes. But I have to probably say, eh. Because though we claim Christianity as our religious affiliation, I think when it comes this time of year, it becomes very evident that there's a whole nother religion that we get into. And that is the religion of consumerism. And I know some of you might say, well, consumerism is not a religion. Oh, it most certainly is. Christianity has a cross. Islam has a crescent. Consumerism has a dollar sign. Because when we see the dollar signs and we see the deals and we see the things that we have to have because it's just the latest and the greatest, we very much get into worshiping that very thing. And today we're going to go from worshiping fully what we talked about last week and who Jesus is to a, one called spend less. Spend less. And some of you are like, awesome, I am so glad I brought my wife here today. This spend less is a little different than probably what you're thinking. Because one side of spend less is, yeah, I could buy chintzy gifts and um, wrap it in newspaper with duct tape and we could be fine with that. That's all good. We could do that, but where we need to be at isn't so much about spending less to save our dollars, but it's about spending less so in order to, what we're going to talk about next week, give more. Give more, and some of you are like, "Oh, oh, we're at church, just talking about giving more. Listen to me here, okay? Listen to what I'm trying to say. I'm not talking about to the church. I'm not talking about to anything in particular. I'm talking about being benevolent and if you have no pages there you'll see what benevolence is there in the bottom it's just a charitable gift and it doesn't have to be to anything in, in particular i'm not pointing you in a direction i'm telling you to listen to what god would have you to do but we're going to talk about that more next week and even a little bit here this morning spend less in order to give give more the religion of consumerism really gets in our way to do anything like that though some of you are like well you know i just don't i don't know about what you're talking about um Does anybody remember the Furby? Does anybody remember the Furby? Christy, can you pull up the Furby on the picture there for me? If you don't remember what a Furby is, it looks something like that right there, okay? That Furby in 1998 came out, and it was retailed at $35, $35. But it was such an amazing toy that everybody just had to have. It was going in the newspaper. That was before Craigslist and and eBay. Um, it was going in the newspaper for $350 to $400 on the average. Now, you think that's pretty crazy. I know I went out of order. But the next one is this one here. The Tickle Me Elmo. Anybody remember Tickle Me Elmo? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. This was $40 retail. $40 retail in the newspaper. It was getting as much as $1,500. $1,500 in 1996 for a Christmas present. Why? Because we re- worship the religion of consumerism. Because we have to have it. And that's why there, there used to be those gifts that people would plan on buying ahead of time, hoping they would be the big Christmas gifts so they could make money at Christmas on people's greed. And people's desires to, to get that latest thing. But you know where these are now? If they're not filling a landfill, or they're not somewhere in some dump in America, they're at Goodwill or they're at Savers on a shelf, I bet. For three to five $5. Can you imagine being the person who spent fifteen hundred dollars for one of those bad boys? It's hard to think about now, but at the time, there's something that comes over us that says, "This is what we have to have." I read a quote and I wrote it down. It said, "How sad and strange is it that debt and consumerism reach their pinnacle on the morning we celebrate the birth of Jesus, a Savior who came to liberate us from these very things?" Isn't it sad? Ads scream our names from stuff for our kids to our friends to ourselves. Even, even the idea of just having to have it or it's the thing I must need to have. Those, those words come out of our mouth, needs versus wants and greeds versus wants. Do you realize that we even do it for our pets? Do you know there's a PetSmart ad in today's paper that has Christmas toys and stuff for your pets? I found out a statistic this this week as I went through this message that actually startled me. Does anybody have a, a wild guess on how much Americans spent on their pets last year for 2011? $42 billion Americans spent on pet goods. $42 billion. On a dog. I mean, I like my dog. But Christy and I have a deal. If anything comes up with a dog and it's going to cost more to fix it than it does to put it down and get a new one, we're putting it down and getting a new one. I know some of you are like, that is just so cruel. It's a dog. I love my dog. He goes with me all over the place. Still, it's a dog. $42 billion. Do you realize how much that is? Do you realize also that Americans spend, between Thanksgiving and Christmas of last year, between Thanksgiving and Christmas last year, 2011, they spent, on average per person, $714 per person in America. That came out to 40, sorry, $470 billion in one month spent on stuff for Christmas. I just want you to wrap your mind around this. I, I understand that when we're talking the billions in our countries and the debts and the, the upper trillions, that billions sometimes don't seem to, to really register with us. Do you realize that it would take $2 billion, $2 billion to get clean drinking water worldwide? $2 billion. We spend 40, $470 billion in one month on stuff that's not going to be worth anything next week but $2 billion to get clean drinking water. Some of you are like, well, you know, what's that all about? Do you realize that 30,000 people die every week due to poor drinking conditions because of the, the stuff that's in water? And 27,000 of those 30,000 are kids under five? Heartbreaking. And yet we go out and we spend all kinds of money on stuff that doesn't matter. And I say stuff that doesn't matter, and some of you are like, well, what are you talking about? I asked a question this week on facebook i'm not sure if you saw it or not but i put what defines for you a good gift now everybody that answered gave me the christian answer they said well just time with family and thought that counts and all That's, that was the majority of it i have a feeling that if on, on christmas morning there's nothing under the tree for them and their kids like i saw what you put on facebook i was just i'm just here I'm, we're spending time with the family you know, th- that's not going to fly well because that, though that's what we want and that's what we want to believe that's a hard thing for us because we want stuff. but four hundred and seventy billion dollars two billion would take care of water. you realize that thirty billion dollars a year would take care of world hunger? So not a great mathematician, but if thirty billion. Was divided into 470 billion. If we didn't spend $470 billion in one month on stuff, we could feed the world for 15 years. Puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Puts it into perspective just a little bit. Here's the deal at the very heart of consumerism, at the very heart of this religion, is dissatisfaction and discontentment. At the very heart of it, this quote comes from the book, The Advent Conspiracy that I read that really got me started in wanting to do this. It says, we are constantly searching for the one thing that will satisfy us. Yet each time we trust the promises of our possessions, more barriers are raised between us and our true selves and God's plain command to love Him above all things. It's not that we necessarily want more, it's that we want what we want is something that we can't buy. If you want today's sermon in a nutshell, if you're going to be ADD and completely phase out after this, that's fine with me. Sermon in a nutshell right here. If we want this Christmas season to be different, we must learn the secret of being content. If we want this Christmas season to be different, we must learn the secret of being content. We stand right smack dab in the middle of consumer culture and the words of Jesus found in Luke chapter 12 verse 15 cause us to stop and think. He says this in the NLT version, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. How many of us believe that as the truth? Because I beg to say that there's probably some people in here that are like, well, you know, my car kind of defines who I am. My house defines who I am. My stuff defines who I am. Look at the NIV version. It says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It almost sounds like it should be on one of those Christian inspirational posters that we put up in our office about the priorities that we have and what we go for. But what he's basically reminding us to do and telling us to watch out for is if you're not happy without something, you won't be happy with it either. If you're not happy without something, you won't be happy with it either. Or it's been said this way, if you can't be happy with what you already have, why should God trust you with anything else? Why should God trust us with anything else? Despite the warning from Jesus, many of us still think that if we just had more money, then that would be enough. If we just had more, we'd be okay. John Rockefeller was actually asked the question, how much money is enough? You know what his answer was? Just one more dollar. Just one more dollar. And that's our thinking, isn't it? Christmas has become a mess. We're just a few weeks away. I think we really need to take a fresh look at what Christmas is, both because of the simplicity of the Savior's birth, but at the same time, the extravagant giving that God gave to us through that birth. I mean, when we really look at, you've probably heard the Christmas story a hundred times. If you've never heard it before, you might have even seen it and didn't know it, but it's on the Charlie Brown Christmas when Linus gets up, and he tells this very verse found in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. It says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. You know, the Christmas story has been bought and sold and traded and marketed for hundreds of years Anybody here have a handful of nativity sets, not just one, but a handful? Yeah, so do we. The Christmas story, we have one that stays up all year long. The Christmas story is right there in front of us. But I think when we see that, when we see that very verse, we forget to ask the one question that should be the one that focuses us everything on what happened. Why would God do that? That is the one question I think we need to ask ourselves over and over and over and over again. When we look at the humble manger, when we see that our Lord and our Savior was born in a barn and placed in a feeding trough, why would God do that? And when we realize why God would do that, because He loved us so much, that should change everything that we believe about Christmas and everything that we do about Christmas. Ed Stetzer, who's a church planting guru and a Christian researcher at, uh, at Lifeway, um, he's actually the vice president, he nails it when he says this. Many Christians are saying enough. The Advent season needs a gospel simply proclaimed as the work of simply, uh, Jesus simply done. Our return to the simplicity of the gospel is a necessity. The gospel never needed tinsel to look good anyway. If you think about the Christmas story, there's a handful of people that are in it. There's Zechariah and Elizabeth, poor. There's Joseph and Mary, poor. There's shepherds, poor. The only people that were a part of the Christmas story that didn't even show up right away because they were walking from a, a land from a far away, even though it's in the nativity set, set that they're around the, the manger, they're not. Show up at the house, you can read that. Is the wise men who bring gifts. That's it. That's the only people who were wealthy in any of this. This wasn't about the money. This isn't about all the things. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 8 9 says this For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I mean, he had heaven, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty, you might become rich, that you might have heaven. I think some of us in this room aren't experiencing contentment for one very reason, because we are dissatisfied and we are looking for other places than what God has already given us. We're looking for other things to provide than what God should be providing. Proverbs 19.23 says, The fear of the Lord leads to life. Then one rests content, untouched by trouble. Isaiah 55.2, God wonders why we don't come to Him For contentment, while we persist in pursuing those things that were never designed to satisfy, he says, This, he says, Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and your soul will delight in the riches of fare. If we want this Christmas season to be different, we must learn the secret of being content. There's some characteristics that come with contentment. I think that this will help us see that we are content, or if we are not. And the first thing is, is contentment leads to spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. In order to grow in godliness, we must become content. This is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you want to open your Bibles there, that'd be great. Um, 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to read in 6 through 10, and then verse 17 and 19. But 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. You know, we really should be content with our God-given circumstances, but never okay with where we are in our spiritual growth. The thing is, I think it's flip-flopped for us a lot of times. We're okay with where we are spiritually, we're just never content with our circumstances. So as our contentment grows, our spiritual growth grows. And spiritual growth leads us to the second thing. The second characteristic is giving it all to God. Giving it all to God. Turn over the ownership of all you have to him. Because you know what? Everything belongs to him anyway. He's merely letting you be a manager and a steward of your money and your possessions. Of his money and his possessions. He's letting you have your hands in it. Just for a brief time, as a matter of fact, verse 7 of 1 Timothy chapter 6 says, For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. We brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. I've used this illustration before, but I've been to a lot of funerals. And at any one of those funerals, I have yet to see a U-Haul hooked up behind a hearse. Yet. It'll be a fun day. I think maybe just at mine I will just for the fun of it. But, you know, we think that all the stuff we're going to accumulate here matters, and it doesn't. We're merely living for a short time here. The third thing is when we give it all to God, it leads us to be thankful for the basics in life. To be thankful for the basics. Verse 8 says, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. The basics. Are you happy for the basics? I think a lot of times, I think a lot of times we forget about the basics because we're so focused on everything outside the basics until we lose all those things outside, and then we're glad that we have the basics in our hands. That we can go home. a family that loves us, that we can turn on our heater in our house, that we can pull up in the driveway in a car. It doesn't have to be the car, but it is a car. You know, those things, when we kind of fall on the tougher times, those things become a little bit more in perspective. So being thankful for the basic opens our eyes to the fact that if you pursue riches, you're going to have problems. Pursuing riches equals having problems. And I know some of you are like, you know, I know exactly what you're talking about. Verse 9 of chapter 6. It says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and, tra- and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. And then verse 10, says, for the love of money, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So the contentment going to... Going to spiritual growth, and then spiritual growth, going to giving it all to God, because you, you understand it's all His anyway, that's, that's part of the growth process, and then being thankful for the basics that you already have, leads us really to this last characteristic. And that is, if we have more, we must give more. If we have more, we must give more. Those who have been blessed have a responsibility to be generous. And you might say, oh, I'm not blessed, give me a minute, we'll talk about that. But I want to look at what verse 17 through 19 says this. It says, command, not suggest, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. We all know that. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share in this way. They will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here's the bottom line, whether you have a big bottom line or a little bottom line. Work at wanting what you have, even if you don't have everything you want. Work at wanting what you have, even if you don't have Everything that you want. The key to contentment is not having everything you want, but wanting everything that you already have. That is the key. That is the secret. Stated clearly in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 It to keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. That verse says, Why be content? Because we already have God. God won't leave us, God won't forsake us. Money's going to go up, money's going to go down, money's going to go sideways, money's going to leave. God does not leave. So what's the secret to the contented life? Philippians 4, verse 11 and 12, Paul writes about it. He says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content. For I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. The NIV version says, In whatever my circumstances. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. How can Paul say that he was content whatever his circumstances were? How could he say that? Because his circumstances were always changing. So he knew that was going to be the thing. He had to find something that was steady, something that was constant, because his circumstances would go up and his circumstances would go down. Paul was way worse off than any of us could ever dream to be as a Christian. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was... Arrested, he was stoned, he was put off on an island by himself. He had all these things that happened to him, and yet he could be content, and he could write that he was content during these things. He realized that it wasn't about the circumstances, it was about the fact that he had Jesus Christ in his life. When it comes to having tough times, God's in control, no matter the situation that you're in, whether it's a good situation or a bad situation. And if you know Christ, you have everything you need to be truly content. That's what Paul understood. That's what Paul knew. And I think I use the word tough times loosely, because some of us might be thinking, oh, you know what, yeah, we're having, we're having tough times. Can I, can I give you some statistics? It's off of gr- globalrichlist.com. Maybe you should go there today, kind of follow up this message. But globalrichlist.com, it gives you a space to enter in how much you make as an individual or how much you make as a family. And then it will tell you how rich you are in the world. Do you know that if you make $24,000 a year, $24,000 a year, that was my starting salary in 1997 at, uh, at a church in, uh, in Phoenix doing, doing youth ministry. I made $24,000 a year, and I felt like we were completely broke because we were. But do you realize making $24,000 a year puts you in the top 10 wealthiest, top 10% of wealthiest people in, a, in the world? $24,000 a year. If you bump that up to 50,000, which seems to be kind of the median that a lot of things go on, you're in the top 1% of worldly wealth. Crazy to think about. Top 1%. Paul understood tough times. 1 Corinthians 4.11 says, To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, and we are brutally treated, and we are homeless. And I think he's being nice when he says brutally treated. But yet he could still write in 2 Corinthians the next letter to them in 2 Corinthians 6:10. 6, he 6, says sorrowful yet always rejoicing, poor yet making many rich, having nothing and yet possessing everything. How can he write that? Because contentment does not come out of what we do. It grows out of what we go through. Contentment does not come out of what we do. It grows out of what we go through. Paul was a contented Christian. My question for you right here right now is are you? Are you a contented Christian? Are you content with the situation that you're in? Have you learned the secret of being content so we can change this Christmas season? A couple weeks ago, I gave you a Christmas covenant to sign. I don't know how many of you signed it. I don't know how many of you guys just threw it away, said, no, it's not something I want to deal with. But I I think sometimes when it comes to what are we going to do and how are we going to do it, we talk about it in here, and then we don't ever actually put it into action. So what I want to challenge you today, as as we leave, I want to challenge you to put this into action. And I'm going to give you a few suggestions and let you kind of run with it. Because you don't have to do what I I mentioned, but maybe God calls you to do something else. The first thing I think you should do is stop and think. In Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it tells us when Mary listened to all the shepherds, uh, All that the shepherds had told her, she treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. Pondered them in her heart. She stopped and she thought about all these things. So I I challenge you to do that today. Maybe even take time today to sit down and read Matthew chapter 1 and 2 or Luke chapter 1 and 2 to tell about the birth of Christ. And and not only just read them to read them, but read them and ponder them and think on them and, and really look at what Christmas is all about the second thing is is maybe you feel like you're in an impossible situation right now there's no way i can do this there's no way I, i am completely and totally struggling right now invite jesus into your impossible situation do you know that christmas is the time of miracles the fact that god came through a virgin birth to live here is a miracle in itself This time of year is nothing but miracles. Invite him into that struggling relationship you have. Invite him into your finances and that debt that is swallowing you alive. Invite him into that sinful habit that just keeps pulling you down. Invite him into the impossible situation and see what he can do. And trust him in it all. The other thing I challenge you to do is buy less this year and use that money to give more. C.S. Lewis believed that the best way to break money's power is to give it away. This is what he wrote. He said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. If our charities do not at all pinch us or hamper us, I should say they are too small. They ought to be the things that we should like to do, or there ought to be things that we should like to do, and cannot because our charitable expenditure excludes them. Ask God how we want you to bless someone else this year. Ask God. How he wants you to bless somebody else here. Maybe it's giving to the unemployed. Maybe you have a neighbor who's struggling because he doesn't have a job. Maybe it's giving towards our IMB missionaries. We have that thing called Lottie Moon. We've talked about it a a handful of times, and we're going to be giving a a, a Lottie Moon offering uh, we were talking about with the power bill. If you didn't put up Christmas lights, which, by the way, is killing me this year. I look at my house, and it's pathetic, and everybody else's is pretty, and mine isn't. But I can think in January when I'm able to write out the difference of what I think is like $150 that it costs us to put up our lights for Christmas. So I can write out that check to IMB missionaries and know that's going towards something other than PNM. I'll feel better about it then, but right now it's just tearing me up inside. Maybe that's what you have to do. Maybe uh, you're in the process of doing the, we said spend cash between Thanksgiving and Christmas, that was one of our other challenges, spend cash and save those, save those, that change to give towards our Benevolence Fund, which we have a fund specifically set up for people who are in need in our church and even outside of our church if somebody comes, and save that change, and next week I'm going to bring in one of, uh, a big change jar, I think like a big huge five-gallon one, like if people fill up, but I'm afraid it'll only be this big and it'll look really pathetic, so we'll, we'll start small, and we'll go big from there, but, um, You know, bring your change, and we're going to bring that all on Christmas Day, but if you're not going to be here Christmas Day, we'll have it up here for you to do. Put your change in that to to give towards somebody else. I don't know what it is. Maybe even tell your family and close close friends that you don't want a typical Christmas present this year. Now, this won't work if they weren't going to get you anything anyway, but but if they were, if they were, tell them to to give money towards an orphanage. Tell them to give that money towards something else because honestly, If you put a category of things that you need, what would be in it that you still need? If you had an actual category, I mean, if you define need versus greed, if you define need versus want, and you had a need, and you wrote out all your needs, is there any of them that have not been met? If if that's the case, then ask for that. An iPhone 5 is not a need. I will let you know that now, okay? Okay. Well, for not you, for you guys. But um, the, the thing is, as we need to define that and say, can you give it towards a ministry? Give it towards CareNet Pregnancy Center. Give it towards Joy Junction. Give it towards something local. Give it towards whatever it might be. It doesn't have to be towards you. Say, so write it in my name if that's what it has to be as a gift. But spend that money elsewhere. How many of you. I have no idea what time it is because this clock thing isn't working, so I apologize if I'm going long and I'm getting there. Um, the, uh, how many of you will buy a $50 gift card to Best Buy for somebody and then in turn get a $50 gift card to Best Buy as a gift, and, and you kind of do that? I mean, it doesn't have to be Best Buy or it doesn't have to be $50, but anybody ever done that? You're like, here, here's your gift card. Oh, here, here's yours. Thanks, now I have to go buy something that's more than that, because I don't want money left on it, and now I have to spend extra. And it, you know, it, it becomes a cycle, and it's all for something that you really didn't want to begin with, because they didn't know what you wanted, that's why they bought you a gift card. How about we reconsider how we do Christmas? You know, Christmas really is about Jesus. The gift has already been given. All you have to do is receive it. I don't know how many of you guys know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, but if you do not know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and you're wondering what I am talking about this morning, I want to talk to you specifically about that this morning. That is what we are here for, to share Jesus Christ and His love with you. So if you do not know Jesus, it's not something to be ashamed of, it's not something to say, oh, everybody else in here does and I don't. Well, that means you need to get to know Him. We were watching a, a TV show called Last Man Standing last night. It was a, it's a Tim Allen show. And uh, it was recorded and we were watching it and they got into a little thing about heaven. And it's so interesting to hear the perspective of heaven. That as long as you're a good person, as long as you do what you're told, as long as you follow the golden rule, as long as you do this, you'll get to go to heaven. And then the other side of the argument during the TV show was that there is no heaven. Heaven is just there to make people have a hope so they feel better when they get older or whatever. And it was kind of this weird explanation. And it's just so odd to hear what people have to say when Jesus very clearly said, how you get to heaven? He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. That is why he came. That is why we celebrate Christmas, and that is why we celebrate Easter. Because he came, he lived, he died, and he rose again. If you do not understand that, I want to talk to you this morning. I'm going to step back to the back as the band comes forward after I pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the blessings that you have given us that we don't even realize. The basics of life that we have, thats so much more than anybody else. We understand that there are people all over the world, over 2 billion people in the world, that live on $2 a day. We spend more per person at Christmas than they make in an entire year but God, yet we're not satisfied because we're not looking in the right place. Help us to look to you this Christmas season and throughout our lives. That God, we can do so much with the things that you have given us. You have given us blessings upon blessings, and we can turn and bless others in return. Help us. Put somebody in our path that we can reach out to and help. We pray this all in your name. Amen. I'm going to step back to the back. Once again, if you do not know Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, I want to challenge you to come back and talk to me about it. While we sing these last two songs, come on back. I'll be back there.